The first reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. The second reading today is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 17. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have the mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also 
give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are the heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. As a boy, I was brought up in Oakwood Baptist Church in North London. That's almost on the edge of London suburbs before the uh, green belt of Hertfordshire. Every year we had a harvest festival service and uh, amid the usual fruit and vegetables that were brought by members of the congregation and displayed on the platform, there was always in the middle of the display an enormous harvest loaf, just like the one you see on the screen. Now, as a boy, I used to meditate on that harvest loaf every year and wondered what it tasted like. Year after year after year. And then one day, my opportunity came. At the end of the evening service, when various members of the church began to uh, dismantle the display, put them into uh, packages to take to different people, as we do here. Then one of the deacons, I think it was, said to me, would you like to try a piece of the harvest loaf? I couldn't believe my luck. And with great enthusiasm, I said, oh, yes, please. So a piece was duly cut from the loaf and was handed to me, and I took one bite. And it was really, really stale. (laughs) Now, Pentecost was the second of the three Jewish great festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And Pentecost is a Greek word meaning the 50th because it occurred on the 50th day after Passover. And just as we observe Whit Sunday, or alternatively Pentecost, 
on 50 days after Easter. And in fact, although much earlier in their year than ours, the Jews celebrated at Pentecost their harvest festival because it was the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. So it was an appropriate time to celebrate harvest. And in the course of the harvest festival, two loaves of fresh wheat flour bread were presented in the temple, and they were certainly not stale. In the Christian calendar, as we know, Pentecost celebrates the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on the infant church. And it's an entirely appropriate day because it produced what we can call a harvest of souls, not a conventional harvest, but a harvest of converts after the first preaching of the gospel. It's also known as Whit Sunday because, at least in the early days of the church, Easter, Pentecost was one of the great days for baptisms. And in those days, baptismal candidates were always dressed in white. And this is probably the reason why Pentecost is normally called in the uh, church calendar Whit Sunday. Oh, I've called my message this morning Whitson Harvest because it really was a harvest of souls. And we're going to look at three points concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is the enthusing spirit. The disciples were so enthusiastic about what they were saying and doing and preaching, that the crowd thought they were drunk. And today I want to encourage you to be enthusiastic for Jesus. And I'll tell you why, but I want to use a little illustration first. This is another incident from my childhood in Oakwood Baptist Church in North London. It was a Sunday school anniversary. And I and two other boys had been appointed to sing on the platform, a trio together. And the song was entitled, I am only a gleam of the master's light. Good old-fashioned stuff for Sunday school anniversaries. I am only a gleam of the master's light. The first boy mounted the steps onto the platform. The second boy mounted the steps onto the platform. And then I began to mount the steps onto the platform, and I tripped and fell. And the congregation roared with laughter. And then I had to stand up and sing. You can imagine how miserable I felt. And when we went home for lunch... I and my family, the inevitable comment was made. Anything less like a gleam of the master's light 
You couldn't wish to see Howard. Have you heard it said, I have? Why do Christians look so miserable all the time? Is it because they've got a long list of things they mustn't do? And because there are so many prohibitions in the Christian faith, that's why Christians always look so miserable. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting that we go around with a silly grin on our face as though we were telling everybody it's wonderful to be a Christian, that not really how it's done. It's something going on inside which shows in Demela an attitude. Now, one of the highlights of modern society is the onslaught on the Christian church of the so-called new atheists, led by their archbishop, Richard Dawkins. And what they say, and I have read some of their books and books about them, what they say is this, you Christians are not simply wrong, you are stupid to believe all those things that you do say you believe. You ought to be embarrassed rather than anything else. Now, I don't think we ought to be put off by talk like that. We ought to be like the Apostle Paul, who in thundering words from Romans chapter 1 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, It is the power of God. And this is the first thing I want to share with you this morning, encouraging you to be enthusiastic about being a Christian. Be enthusiastic for God. Be proud to be a Christian. Be glad to be a believer. And let it so inform the inside of you that it does indeed spill over not necessarily in a silly grin, but certainly in a confidence which shows that this matters to us as it did to those early disciples. Now perhaps this is the uh, most common aspect of the Spirit's ministry that we think about, the empowering Spirit. And the last promise of Jesus to his followers before he left this earth and returned to heaven was this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There are powerful movements in our society today and in our world today. Not only the new atheists, but there are perhaps other gospel influences which are having a powerful effect and that's only to be welcomed. One of the most well-known of those is Alpha, the introductory course to the Christian faith. Its founder, Nicky Gumbel, was interviewed a couple of years ago by the editor of Christianity magazine. And she asked him, why do you think Alpha works? And he thought for a bit, and then his first reply was, well, I don't know. And then I think he felt that was rather a feeble response, 
because he followed it by saying, it must be the Holy Spirit. And he was absolutely right. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers and equips and enables people to do work for him. The first thing he enabled the apostles to do on the day of Pentecost was to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in different languages of the people who were in Jerusalem for the festival, mainly Jewish people, but also converts to Judaism. And what we were confronted with was speaking in tongues, which literally means speaking in languages. Now, I don't know how many of you have uh, had contact with the charismatic movement in our times, but you will know that by speaking in tongues, they normally mean speaking in a spirit-inspired heavenly language that is not a language known on earth. I want to point out to you, and it took me years and years to spot this. I'm a slow starter, obviously. It took me years to realize that what was going on on the day of Pentecost was not speaking in a spirit-filled heavenly language, but in spirit-inspired earthly languages. Ordinary, normal spoken languages from all parts of the the Roman world, those who had gathered in Jerusalem. What the charismatic movement has done for us is twofold. First, it's emphasized the spectacular gifts of the Spirit, gifts like speaking in tongues in a heavenly language and also gifts of healing prophecy, insight, and other aspects that really are very special and very unusual. But I want to mention this morning some of the other gifts, because this was something I only spotted quite late in my ministry. There are actually four passages in the New Testament that speak about the gifts of the Spirit. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 8 to 10, where nine spectacular gifts are listed, including speaking in tongues and healing and so on. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, later on, verse 28, there are four additional gifts mentioned and three that have been mentioned already. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, there are two more additional gifts and three that have been mentioned elsewhere before. And in Romans chapter 12, there are five new additional gifts and two that have been mentioned before, a total of 20. And I wrote them down when I discovered this and it suddenly struck me that what I was looking at was a wonderful combination of spectacular gifts and not-so-spectacular gifts. But the other gifts, though less spectacular, are nevertheless essential for building and maintaining the work of the church and for equipping and enabling the people of Christ. Let me list some of them. Evangelists, pastors, 
teachers, administrators, gifts of encouragement, generosity, leadership, and comfort. Now, these aren't spectacular gifts, but they are absolutely essential gifts. And it's the way in which the Spirit within God's people prepares for making Jesus known so that when all the gifts are being exercised, the church is functioning properly. And it's very interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul lists these nine spectacular gifts, he goes on to say, but we've all got gifts, and we're like a body, and we're all different parts of the body, and we've all got a contribution to make to the work of Christ, our Lord and Saviour. The other side of the powerful ministry of the Spirit is the way in which he changes people altogether. And that we see in the gifts, uh, in the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and those far less spectacular gifts of the Spirit, but they produce changed character in Christian people. 1963, I joined a group of theological students who had been invited to go to what was then the country of Czechoslovakia to meet Christians and to see how the churches were faring in a communist country. And we were warned before we went, obviously, to be very careful what we said and where we said it and to whom we said it. But there was one event during that fortnightly, fortnight trip where we were invited to go and meet representatives of the Czech government, the communist government in Czechoslovakia. And we were told that we could say anything we liked and ask any questions we liked. Well, I thought this was absolutely marvellous. And during the course of the discussion, some usual questions came up. For example, the question, if you are atheists, why do you let any Christians exist in your country? And the answer fascinated me. The government representative who answered that question said, because we find that the Christians are the best workers. What a testimony. And I thought, I'm really going to go for the jugular here. And I said, my question is this. Do you know of any bad people who, through the influence of communism, have been changed into thoroughly good people? The government representative thought for the moment, and then I think a very honest answer. He said, well... No, I can't. So I said, well, I know of bad people who, when they become Christians, become changed good people. Absolute silence from the bench of the government representatives. And then we went on to another question. Now this influence of the Spirit in changing people leads me on 
To my final thought, the evangelizing spirit. And that verse in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And that first Whit Sunday was indeed a harvest of souls. We are told about 3,000 converts all at once. And the evangelizing work of the Spirit has continued ever since that moment right up to our own day. And you've seen it, and I've seen it, and it's so encouraging. I've attended meetings, I know some of you have as well, conducted by the evangelist Billy Graham and his team. And I've watched as hundreds of people go forward to the platform to express their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have met some of them afterwards, years afterwards. It was said that there was an enormous increase in applicants for the Baptist ministry as a result of the ministry of Billy Graham. And it's the Holy Spirit at work, and not only in big numbers, because after the day of Pentecost, we are told a little bit later in the book of Acts, chapter 8, that there was just Philip the evangelist and the Ethiopian treasurer, a one-to-one. And we've seen that as well, individuals who are converted There was a wonderful account from the uh, organization Open Doors International, which also was given in Christianity magazine recently. It was about a burglar in Iran. And this burglar had stolen a satellite dish. He took it home and he started testing it. And, uh, well, not by chance, I think by providence he found that he was tuned in to a Christian station. And there was a sermon being preached. And he was fascinated. And he listened to the sermon. And at the end of it, he was soundly converted. And what did he do? He went and told all his burglar friends. And a lot of them got converted as well. And now there is, in Iran, a house church of 12 ex-burglars meeting together to praise the name of Jesus. Now that's power. That really is. Every time we have a a baptismal service here, we invite people to give their testimony. And it's so wonderful to be able to see that Here in this place, the Spirit is moving, as one of our hymns says. The work continues. Now it's well said that we can't all be evangelists, because that is one of the gifts of the Spirit that not everybody has. But we can all be witnesses, and that contributes to evangelism. And when we tell somebody we're glad to be a Christian, that is witnessing. And when we invite someone to church, that is witnessing. And when we go with a group to Cambodia, whatever the role, that is witnessing. And all these play their part in the evangelistic ministry of the Christian church under the blessing and guidance of the Spirit of God. Now one final issue remains. 
How do we receive the Spirit? Now, there has been some teaching around, I'm afraid, from the charismatic movement that you don't receive the Spirit when you get converted, you receive the Spirit later on. Now, it's not biblical, I'm afraid, and I'm going to show you why it's not. In the passage in Romans 8, which we read earlier, there is a fascinating list which goes like this. The Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ in you. Now, I think that is very illuminating because what Paul is really saying is this is one and the same experience. The Spirit in you, the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, Christ in you, it's all the same. And I want to link that with two very well-known Bible verses. The first we hear every Christmas, but why not now? John chapter 1 and verse 12. To all who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. (coughs) Received Christ. Well, in the days of his earthly ministry, he was received literally by all sorts of people. He was rejected by some, sadly as well, but he was received by those who believed. But today, we receive Christ by faith, spiritually. That's what conversion is all about. When we receive Christ spiritually at our conversion, we receive the Spirit of Christ. He's there already. Now there's another verse, Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Jesus coming in is the Spirit coming in. Now, this is where I agree with the charismatic movement. They say you can go on afterwards to receive deeper experiences of the Spirit of Christ For some people it will be speaking in tongues. For others it will be another gift. But the Spirit doesn't just stop once. And we find in the Acts of the Apostles that one time after another we read that the Apostles filled with the Spirit and it means at that moment we're able to do a special work for the Lord. So, on this Whit Sunday, this Pentecost, the thought I want to leave with you is simply this. Let's open ourselves afresh to the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit that we may be used to work for Christ in this church and in this world which so desperately needs him. Well, let's close our service by singing a hymn which puts these thoughts into words and music. O breath of life, number 407.